Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market chapter three the letters from no one the escape of the Brazilian boa constrictor and Harry his longest ever punishment. By the time he was allowed out of his cupboard again, the summer holidays had started and Dudley had already broken his new cine camera. I'm Casper Terkyle. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. I taught high school English for one year when I was 24 years old. And the advice that every experienced teacher gave me was that you have to be strict and you have to be really scary on the first day and in the first month or so, and then you can loosen up over time. But you can't start weak and then get stricter. You'll just lose all control of the classroom. And I was terrified as a first-year teacher. I was teaching high school, so the kids were 16 and 17. I looked like a 16, 17-year-old. I was still breaking out like a 16, 17-year-old. So I just was scared that I was going to have no authority in the room. So I told my boss, the head of my department, that I was scared. And I was teaching English. And she said, why don't you write a letter to your students for the first day? And that way you'll have something pre-said. And it can be their first assignment to write a letter to you. And you can get to know them and assess their writing. And that'll calm you down. I thought that that was a great idea. And I spent so much time crafting this letter and really just trying to sound intimidating and scary and like I really knew who I was. And I spent so much time that it's been almost 10 years and I still remember one of the lines I wrote in it, which was, and this is so embarrassing now, it was, I like to rock the boat until I'm seasick. (laughs) That's so embarrassing. (laughs) Yep. That's Vanessa's great writing. And so I read this letter and I gave them their assignment. End of class comes, and I decide to be super authoritative, and I go and I open the door at the back of the classroom, and the kids are filing out, and I'm feeling pretty proud of myself that through my fear, I had prevailed and put the fear of God into them. And these two girls were filing out, and I overheard one saying to the other, isn't she so cute? And looking back, I mean, it's just beautiful and it's irony because what I was trying to do was instill fear in them. And instead, all I did was reveal my own. 
which reminds me so much of Vernon in this chapter. And we're reading through the theme of fear this week. And you see exactly the same thing with him. He's trying to assert authority and, you know, scare the rest of the family to doing his bidding and actually just reveals his own lack of control and and total fear. Exactly. Yeah. But before we jump into that, let's do our 30-second recap. And I believe that it is your turn to go first. It is my turn. And the votes have been coming in, results online, but uh, keep voting for who your favorite recapper is. And I think that people should keep in mind who goes first and how that's a harder task, but I'm still going to win. Ready, steady, go. This chapter starts with it being clear that Harry has been punished for the incident at the zoo, but on one of the days of his punishment, a letter arrives. Vernon freaks out that Harry has gotten a letter. Um, so that he tries to eventually, as the letter keeps coming again and again, Vernon takes the family away to try to avoid the letters. The letters follow them all the way out to an island. Harry is turning 11, and he's just constantly dreaming about this letter. And at midnight in the middle of a storm in the middle of an island, we hear a knock on the door. Remember, everybody, I went first and did that well. You've got game. I know. No one's surprised. <laughs> I even have game in my trash talk. Thanks, David and Jonathan. <laughs> My brothers. Yeah, you grew up with brothers. I grew up with sisters. Yeah. yeah. No, I know how to trash talk. I know how to plat hair. <laughs> Are you ready to try to beat that, Casper? Are you ready to embarrass yourself in front of all of our listeners? I was born ready. To embarrass yourself? Uh, yeah, you are. Okay. Three, two, one. It's nearly Harry Potter's 11th birthday, and he's being punished, so he's back under the cupboard under the stairs. Um, but one day he receives a piece of mail, which is very unusual. No one has ever sent him a letter in his life, and it's addressed to Mr. H. Potter, the cupboard under the stairs, which is freaky. He's not allowed to read it. More and more letters start arriving. Vernon's going crazy. He thinks that Sunday means that there won't be any more letters, so he relaxes. But no, more letters come. So he takes the family away. They're in a hotel. Then they start walking around random places because Vernon wants to kind of shake off the following letter people. And, and then the, uh, no, Island, knock on the door. You're great with the details, but I don't think you know what 30 seconds means. I just want to bring out the richness of the chapter. I appreciate that, but 30 seconds means 30 seconds. <laughs> okay, so we're reading this chapter through the lens of fear. I saw it everywhere. What about you? Where is a place that you saw it? The thing that really struck me was the smelting stick. The school that Dudley is going to go to, he's literally given a stick, which to me really mirrors the wand that Harry is going to have at Hogwarts. But wands can be used for many, many wonderful things as well as violence. And really the smelting stick seems like, no, the pedagogy of fear and pain is the dominant culture in this school. Yeah, it says... They also carried knobby sticks used for hitting each other while the teachers weren't looking. This was supposed to be good training for later life. I feel like there was actually a pedagogical choice that they were like, this is the point of these sticks. Is that something that happens at English schools for real? Well, this is one of the things that I was thinking was, is this Rowling's illustration of what a real boarding school experience is like? And I've talked a little bit about my unhappy time at a boarding school. And I think this is really the accent to the wonderful home at Hogwarts that we're going to find of of a different reality of what a boarding school can be like. It's also interesting because Petunia and Vernon are so scared of the wizarding world, but the world that they live in is horrifying, where you're arming children in order to whack each other at every opportunity. This world that's being painted for us is equally as scary as, like, the unknown wizarding world. 
But like, what does this reveal about the worldview of people who send their children to smelting? It's all about you have to be prepared to be tough and to fight and the world is frightening and dangerous. And it's such a fearful way of looking at the world that I think it is really illustrative of how the Dursleys understand who they are and the context in which they live. And I think that the further context is that there are bullies and the bullied, and it's better to be a bully. I mean, that seems to be the lesson that they are teaching Dudley again and again. Which is such a comparison with Harry, of course, if we think all the way through to the final book, the kind of theme of sacrifice, which is going to be so important throughout the story. There seems to be a really Christian idea about that around the first will later come last and the last will later come first. You know, we see Dudley very clearly as the first. He's the person in charge and we see him become, in a lot of ways, even literally smaller and smaller. And then, you know, we see someone like Neville, who is bullied, just become stronger and stronger as the books go on. So I'm wondering, just because your background is in climate activism, as climate change becomes more and more pervasive over the next 50 years, something that I am scared of is that as resources become more scarce, it is going to be easier and easier to live in a culture of fear. Do you Are you optimistic about that? Do you think that Like in the books, hope is going to prevail. I mean, that's why I came to divinity school. You know, we're going to live in a climate changed world. We already do. And who's feeling the effects is is not equally shared. And what matters to me is what's the culture of response? Are we going to welcome people to our homes? Are we going to welcome people to our shores as we see a huge number of increase in climate refugees? Well, that really depends on the culture that we have. And so for me, that's why I love thinking about these kind of questions, because How we react to something like a letter in the mailbox is how we're going to react to a refugee on our doorstep. It's really interesting that you say that because um, Vernon responds to a letter. I mean, Harry is sort of dragging his feet when he gets the mail because Harry is so surprised the letter has come for him. And Vernon's quote unquote joke is, what did you find? A letter bomb? And so... I'm just worried that the Vernons of the world are actually going to win, right? There's a moment that is slightly different than what he's used to. What he's used to is Harry going to get the mail and Harry quickly scurrying back with the mail. And one thing is different. And Vernon's immediate response to one tiny change in his morning routine is immediately going to this defensive, violent place. Right. I'm scared that that is the way that people actually respond to change. And a sentence that means something to me in all of its complications is the Martin Luther King line of the arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice. I love it. I don't think it's true, but I try to live my life as if it is true. But I think that Vernon clearly does not live in that world. And I do. I just get scared that the Vernon reaction of, is it a bomb? is the reaction that most people have. But I think I think it's important that we don't separate the world into Vernon's and, and Harry's, I guess. But we try and figure out, like, where is that Dursley-ishness in us? And that's what I love about us reading these books in this way, is that we really come face to face with the truth that this is in us as well, and that it's up to us to try and, and, and take that fear and honor it and say, you know, that's a totally valid reaction. And it's not the one I choose. Since I brought up Martin Luther King, and I think that this is Exactly to your point, Casper, the first time that I went to the Martin Luther King Memorial in Washington, D.C., I went with this friend of mine who is an African-American man. And 
you know, the quotes, and I don't remember what the quotes are, but some of them were very cynical quotes and some of them were these great optimistic quotes. And I turned to my friend and I was like, oh, you know, he could be such a hypocrite. And my friend was like, or the man had moods, Vanessa. Right. Like he was a person with moods. And when talking about the Vietnam War, he had something different to say than when talking about poverty. And I had made no room for this icon to be a human being who had moods. What's interesting with Vernon is that level of fear and aggression really gets ramped up. You know, we're dialed all the way to to the point that I think we're beginning to see a sort of breakdown. He is skipping work, which I'm presuming he does very infrequently. Petunia is scared of him. He is acting in a way that is very unusual. Does this look like a breakdown to you? It does. I think it's both a breakdown and evidence of how quickly people, when scared, can become radicalized, right? It's he goes from like zero to nuclear. I mean, Dudley notices, right? He says, Daddy's gone mad, hasn't he? He's willing to put his family at risk. There's a rainstorm and he's like, let's get into this tiny boat. But I literally don't understand what he is so afraid of. This is an opportunity to send Harry away. Doesn't he want that? I mean, he hates the child. Right. So what is it? I think there's such a strong attachment for him to the way things are and to his position in it. As a straight white man in a kind of management level role in his company, the world looks pretty good from where he's at. And to admit that there's a whole other layer of society which could have power over him to which he is defenseless is something which is not only physically dangerous to him, but it's more about his sense of identity and who he is and where he fits within a kind of pecking order, which he learned at Smeltings, you know, he's going to be the top. And now suddenly there's this shadow organization that's going to be above him. He can no longer be the person he thinks he is. I think that's what's so dangerous for him. Yeah. And I'm trying to think of the times in which I have been truly deeply scared. And they sort of fall into one of two categories, which is when my physical safety is somehow being threatened or I perceive as though my physical safety has been threatened, which if you don't understand wizards, right? I mean, I can understand how Vernon is scared of that. And the other times are when I feel as though my sense of identity is gone, when you lose a job or someone who you really love passes away. It's like if I don't see myself in relation to this other thing, who am I, right? He's having an existential and a physical crisis. Exactly. And I love how the whole scene becomes smaller and smaller as we travel. Starts in their house. You know, they're connected to the local environment. They go to this hotel. It's got two rooms. Um, They then end up in this kind of shack on an island and they're in one space kind of together. Uh, And just that the environment in which he is trying to control becomes smaller and smaller as he becomes more desperate. One last thing that I've noticed in this chapter is that when Harry gets moved to the second bedroom, to Dudley's second bedroom, the first thing that we see is that it is the island of Dudley's discarded and broken things. And so it's Harry fits into that room perfectly as just another one of Dudley's discarded and broken things. You see, I read it differently. I read it as this house is full of broken things for broken people. Here is here is a family that is afraid, that has a secret, that is scared and worried about so many things. And that kind of brokenness in who they are is reflected in all of these um in, in all of these broken toys. And, you know, we're all broken in some way. And that's really kind of brought to the fore through these through these objects in the second bedroom. Yes. Ready to pop the question? 
The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Every week we're going to engage with the text through a sacred practice. And this week, again, we're going to do Lectio Divina, in which we pick a quote at random from the chapter, literally by flipping through and putting our thumb somewhere. And we go through four stages with the quote, which is one, reading the quote just literally, what's happening in the text, what's happening in the sentence, where is it in the chapter. Step two is what's going on figuratively in the text. So what symbols pop out at us? What does it remind us of? Step three is how does the quote speak to us and our lives? And then step four is what action does it inspire us to take? So I've picked our sentence and it it is, he was going to wait for the postman on the corner of Privet Drive and get the letters for number four first. I'm going to read it again for everybody at home. He was going to wait for the postman on the corner of Privet Drive and get the letters for number four first. Okay, Casper, literally what's happening? Who's he, etc.? So Harry here is coming up with a plan. He knows that the sender of the letters is going to keep sending the letters. And so he's thinking of how to get to the letters before Vernon. Um, So he's going to leave the house, going to see the postman outside and just pick up the letters there so he can read what this letter to him is all about. So the next layer is reading it figuratively or allegorically. So what are the symbols or the other stories that we're reminded of because of this sentence? Can we talk for a minute about Privet Drive? Privet obviously sounds a lot like private, right? And so I think that that speaks to the desire of the Dursleys to live on a private drive. And of course, literally, the word privet means a hedge. Yes. And I I think that she's going for that, right? A hedge is something that you have to look over. It's they want to be normal and they want everyone to leave them alone. But it, I, I don't think I'm crazy, right? It sounds like private. Yes, absolutely. That's the first thing I thought of. And if you and I both thought of it, it's clearly smart and true. No, and I think you can read that even further onto the number four on Privet Drive. It's a 
it's a stable number. You know, it's got four legs, four corners. It's a, it's not a very interesting number, like the number seven, which I think is a wild and crazy party. But this, you know, it's there's a solidity to their life. Mm-hmm. It's an even number. It's not an odd number. Absolutely, I love that. I love also that we're invited to imagine Harry alone outside of the house for the first time. He's usually kept inside or he's with the Dursleys when they're on an outing or at school. But here he is, you know, the promise of being alone and free. So he's already being liberated in some way by just the promise of Hogwarts. Totally. Something has come in and interrupted the cycle. It's just this tiny interruption, the like idea of maybe a letter getting into his hands and everything is already different. I also noticed the word wait, because that strikes me of Harry has been waiting for 11 years to be reclaimed. And this, he has been waiting such a long time. Even if he doesn't know it, he will look back at those years of really being lost in some way. Something else that strikes me is that the the fact that it's Harry was going to get the letters for number four first. It implies this competition, right? It's like, I'm going to get them first. And he knows that Vernon is waiting for them. He knows that somebody is waiting to intercept. And his plan, we know, fumbles. But the fact that he knows that this is a competition and sort of a competition for survival is another interesting thing that I noticed. Well, and I love this scene because we see a premise of what Harry will do. He comes up with a plan. He's not afraid. He walks into something squishy and dangerous. All of these kind of little elements of what Hogwarts life will be like for him are being prefigured here. Absolutely. And in contrast to all of the fears of the Dursleys is Harry's almost pathological fearlessness. He is, in my mind, dangerously unafraid. He attacks Vernon. He, you know, makes jokes within striking distance of Dudley. He makes that, I think, really funny joke about he goes up to Aunt Petunia's, Petunia's dyeing some of Dudley's old clothes to be made into Harry's school uniform. And they're in the vat in the sink in water. And, you know, Petunia's like, this is your uniform. And he says, oh, I didn't know it had to be so wet. He has never been taught that humor gets you rewards in this life. If I made that joke at home, I would have been, like, given some sort of positive reinforcement of a chuckle from my mom. But Harry hasn't been taught that. And so his fearlessness does seem almost pathological to me. And I feel like we're going to see that again and again. Step three is how this sentence speaks to us in our own lives. Did this occur to you in any way? What did it remind you of in your life? It reminds me of my email inbox. I, you know, the first thing I do when I get up is go to my phone and check my email. And so there's this eager, like, I want to get ahead. I want to get there first. I want to be on top of things. I want to, you know, before the rest of the world gets to me, I want to deal with this kind of thing. And I will literally wait for emails to arrive. Like, emails are validating to me. I feel great when email arrives because it means that I matter in some way. So please send me email. (laughs) How about you, Vanessa? I think what it reminds me of in my life are moments of desperation, of being so scared and sort of being willing to just sacrifice anything in order to try to make something happen. And how rare those moments are where you have such a clarity of purpose. Yesterday, for example, in this really silly, embarrassing way, and obviously I'm fine, but I tripped. I literally tripped over the ground and I fell and, you know, I had cut myself and I sort of sprawled out. And my friend who was with me very sweetly, like immediately ran to me, but I had dropped my dog's leash in the process of falling. And even though 
I absolutely could have used a hand and someone to shield me from how embarrassing this was. My first instinct was get the dog. And so there are moments where you just know in your gut what needs to happen. And so what you want to happen and or how you want it to happen doesn't matter anymore. And that's what I see in Harry here. I'm, I'm seeing another parallel in that Harry has a plan and he's going to execute it. But... Vernon gets there before him. Vernon has thought this through one step more than Harry has. You know, and just like Vernon thinks he has a plan, the wizarding world is three steps ahead of Vernon. And so there's this thing of like, sometimes I feel like I'm being really smart and then I'm just totally outwitted by someone who's thought this much more carefully through than I have. Yeah, and it also just is a sign of like, you can't control the universe. Let go. Let it go. Exactly. So step four, what action are we called to? From this text, Casper. Can you read the sentence one more time? He was going to wait for the postman on the corner of Privet Drive and get the letters for number four first. I'm still really inspired by the word wait and the fact that this attempt doesn't work, but that things work out for Harry in the end. There's a promise here, I think, of... Um, I'm trying not to say good things come to those who wait, but... I get so impatient with all the things I want to do in my life and the things I want to create and the people I want to work with. And in some ways, I think it kind of speaks to what I need to do with my email in the morning. I think I I need to take a, a page out of Harry's book and wait those 11 years a little more. And, you know, I'm not I'm not imprisoned in, in the way that Harry is or, you know, I'm kind of imprisoned by my desperation to get to those emails first thing. But there's a choicefulness that I have that Harry doesn't. And if Harry can wait and try and fail as he does here, but still read that letter in the end, then I'm going to try and do the same. How about you, Vanessa? What action is this sentence inviting you to take? I mean, I think the fact that Harry fails and yet obviously in the long run succeeds is what it reminds me of, which is just I can be very controlling like Vernon, but it never works when I try to control situations. It, I, I don't think I can tell you a time in which it worked. And yet I just keep trying. I mean, what would happen if Harry just sat back, relaxed, and trusted that these letters would find him? He could be laughing at how desperate Vernon is and probably save himself a lot of strife. So although I appreciate that he's a go-getter and out there and trying, there's a time for trying and there's a time for just letting things unfold, which is scary, right? I was raised that you never let things unfold because the Nazis are coming. The Nazis are coming. Yeah. No, seriously, right? Like, they, first they came for my neighbor and then nobody was left and they came for me. So I I was very much raised that you interfere, that the world is sort of tripping toward evil. And so if you can stop it, that is your job. But the Nazis aren't always coming. They're not always coming. And maybe for me, that's what I'm trying to retrain my brain from and toward. I'm trying to frame it toward, you know, the arc of the universe is long and it bends towards justice, not towards Nazis. Mm. <laughs> Every week we like to end the episode with offering a blessing for someone who has spoken to us in this chapter. So this week I want to bless Petunia. Um, Something that Petunia does that I think is really beautiful is that she lets Vernon figure this out for himself. She could put her foot down and throw a fit, but then Vernon wouldn't get to feel as though he had done everything he could to try to prevent magic from entering their home. I mean, it's Corinthians, right? But it's love is patient. And so I think that she's just being very loving and very patient with him and letting him 
I would argue letting him go too far because he endangers his family by getting on that boat. But she is in no way punishing him for this behavior. She's just being loyal and loving. So that's my blessing this week. And, you know, may we all sometimes have the wisdom to sit back and be loving, even when it looks really hard. Casper, who is it for you this week? I want to bless Dudley this week. I think he is, he's still a 10-year-old boy. And for all the challenges that he offers and all the spoilt brattishness that he exhibits, um, I think he is totally shaped by his parents and by the broader culture. And I feel like, you know, we were all raised in a world which in many ways we were taught not to care about, whether it's climate refugees or whatever kind of issue that's far away or far from our sight. And so I, I want to bless in Dudley the capacity that he does have for generosity and for empathy and for love. And that that's something that we all need to be reminded of because it's not something we're asked to do every day, but we're all capable of doing it. You've been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. This episode was produced by me, Vanessa Zoltan, Casper Turkile, and Ariana Nettleman. The music was by Nick Boll and Ivan Paisal. Next week, we'll read Chapter 4, The Keeper of the Keys, Through the Lens of Generosity. If you've been inspired by any of the readings that we've offered, we'd love to hear from you what other ideas you've got or what other themes we've missed. We'd like to thank the Humanist Hub and our fabulous Harry Potter and the Sacred Text reading group, Rebecca and Charlie Ludley for all their support, Shane Bannon, Lauren Taylor and Rufus for theirs, and Ben Horn for making his very generous contribution through our Kickstarter, Stephanie and Graham at the Harvard Communications Office, and you, our listener. Thank you so much. Please make sure you subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find your podcast. And especially if you can rate and comment, that would be super helpful as more and more people hear about the podcast project. Thanks. You'll hear from us next week. We'll see you then. Are you talking about original sin? I'm a, I'm a Calvinist. <laughs> I've just been reading about Calvin. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's got a good point. He only burnt one person in Geneva. He has such a bad reputation. Only one guy. Only one burning. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.